0: I just want to end by discussing traversing the fantasy. One thing you'll always hear Lacanians and Zizekians talk about is traversing the fantasy. I think it has a almost a mythic status now, um, and yet if you ask for a clear answer on what that means, you often don't get it. And so, again, you know, I know I've been more quote heavy this this lecture than last time, but. I think it's important just to see what Zizek says. It's very good.
1: Words. Oh, we and appreciate it. It's good.
0: Yeah, and so I got two examples, and I'm going to read them in full here. One is from the Ticklish Subject, and the other is from Event. And the um, second one's a bit longer, but here's the one from Ticklish Subject. This is on page 58. He says, okay, well, before we get into it, so the whole point is traversing the fantasy, right? It sounds like, okay, I have this fundamental fantasy operating within me or uh, this fundamental fantasy operating in society. Um, I guess the idea is to get beyond fantasy entirely, to live without fantasy and to just perceive reality itself. But that's not true. The whole point is you're always going to have some kind of phantasmatic frame, some sort of perspective through which you experience reality. Um, So, it's not about just abolishing fantasy entirely. So, here's how Zizek puts it. Traversing the fantasy precisely does not designate what this term suggests to a commonsensical approach. Getting rid of the fantasies, of illusionary prejudices and misperceptions, which distort our view of reality, and finally learning to accept reality the way it actually is. That's not what it does for Zizek. He says... In traversing the fantasy, we do not learn to suspend our phantasmatic or phantasmagorical productions. On the contrary, we identify with the work of our imagination even more radically in all its inconsistency. That is to say, prior to its transformation into the phantasmatic frame that guarantees our access to reality. So, let's be clear on what he's saying here. It's not... That we ever just finally, you know, once we. It, it's easier to do at a social level. It's easier to go, oh, I see that I have some consumer fantasy that's, you know, determining my desire, right? Or I have some fascist or some Stalinist or whatever, right? That's easier to do um, because it, it's geared towards the generic side of yourself. But your actual fundamental fantasy, the idiosyncratic one that determines your individual libidinal economy. The point is it's something that you can't fully integrate into your sense of self, right? Because once you're confronted with it, it's almost embarrassing that your entire life has been geared towards this stupid little image in your unconscious that you concocted and how you've basically tried to live out this thing your whole life. And it's in a sense, it's humiliating. It it causes a sense of like being deflated. Like, holy shit, my whole life was about this. This is so stupid. And so it's not so much you identify with it like how you do with your mirror image or with the, the, the things that you like. The identification more has to do with a confrontation with it. Like, holy shit, this thing has been unconscious and now I'm consciously registering what has determined the whole history of my desire. And his point, as we're going to come to see, is just simply seeing the fundamental fantasy for what it is involves a traversal of it. So he's not at, he doesn't flesh this out as much in the quote from Ticklish Subject, but he goes more into it in this quote from Event. And this is from pages 28 to 30. A little bit long, but it's worth it because he... He goes into more detail. He says, Insofar as fantasy provides the frame, which enables us to experience the real of our lives as a meaningful whole, the disintegration of a fantasy can have disastrous consequences. Right? So the, the whole point is your fantasy holds together your very life, your desire, right? If your fantasy somehow becomes shattered Say some tragic event happens and the fantasy frame is broken, this is not liberating. It destroys you, right? He says, a loss of the phantasmatic frame is often experienced in the midst of intense sexual activity. This is an interesting observation here. One, uh, One is passionately engaged in the act when, all of a sudden, one, as it were, loses contact, disengages, Begins to observe oneself from outside and becomes aware of the mechanistic nonsense of one's repetitive movements. In such movements, the phantasmatic frame which sustained the intensity of enjoyment disintegrates, and we are confronted with the ludicrous reel of copulation. Right? Think about like this moment in during sex where the phantasmatic element, the context, right, all of that collapses, and it just You and the other person, and what your bodies are doing, right? Like, it's, as he points out, it's like ridiculous. Uh, You need that phantasmatic context for sex to be passionate. And if you lose that, then it's almost this weird, disgusting, awkward set of movements that, you know, like, like disgust you. You're just like, okay, it's the real of copulation, as he puts it. So he continues what psychoanalysis aims at is not such a disintegration of fantasy, but something different and much more radical, the traversing of fantasy. And while it may seem obvious that psychoanalysis should liberate us from the hold of idiosyncratic fantasies and enable us to confront reality the way it is, this is precisely what Lacan does not have in mind. Traversing the fantasy does not mean simply going outside fantasy, but shattering its foundations, escape, er, accepting its inconsistency, right? Part of it is just seeing, coming to terms with what your fundamental fantasy is masking, what it's veiling, right? Just simply recognizing what it's doing is is this huge kind of realization, right? So he goes on, in our daily existence, we are immersed in reality. And again, for him, reality, and, and for Lacan, reality is our imaginary symbolic world, right? It's the world of language, custom, ego. It's all that kind of stuff, right? It's not the, it's the imaginary and the symbolic are together what they call reality as opposed to the real, which again, the real has to do with all of these various dynamics, the the unconscious, drive, jouissance, all of these things, fundamental fantasy that we're not aware of, right? That are out of sight, that are not immediately Present as part of our waking social reality. So, uh, sorry, sorry to pick it up again. In our daily existence, we are immersed in reality, structured and supported by the fantasy. But this very immersion makes us blind to the fantasy frame which sustains our access to reality. To traverse the fantasy, therefore, means paradoxically to fully identify oneself with the fantasy, to bring the fantasy out. Here we can see what traversing the fantasy can mean. Not to see through it and perceive the reality uh, obfuscated by it, but to directly confront the fantasy as such. Once we do this, its hold over us is suspended. Why? Because fantasy remains operative only insofar as it functions as the transparent background, the unconscious, uh, of our experience. Fantasy is like a dirty, intimate secret which cannot survive public exposure. So traversing the fantasy really just means bringing the fantasy to conscious awareness and identifying it. It's not that you integrate it. It's it, Again, it's this humiliating thing that, that deflates your sense of self. Like, oh, my, well my whole life's been based around this dumb shit. But the identification has to do with with that realization that your whole life's been based around it and that it, it's been operative throughout your whole life without you being aware of it. And the whole, the whole point is, the very moment that conscious awareness gets a grip on it, that, that the unconscious fantasy becomes conscious, it doesn't work anymore. It's stupid. It's ridiculous. It's just, it's some arbitrary little image or, or narrative that got established early on, but it's so contingent and you know, this is where the, the, you, you face this like uh, subjective destitution, right? You feel like you've been emptied inside because you realize that what's been the most extimate thing, like the most intimate thing is some dumb external image that you at the conscious level wouldn't identify with to begin with. It's just an image. It's just a, a, a little narrative. And, uh, Yet it's it's been destinal, right? It's 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 shaped your whole life, and once you realize this, though, the fantasy doesn't work the same anymore. I mean, this is part of um, psychoanalysis. It's not that every every time something from the unconscious is made conscious, it uh, ceases to be effective. But in this case, Zizek is arguing that fundamental fantasy, that is how it works here, where once you once you get a clear vision of it, once it's made conscious, once you understand what's going on with it, it can't really operate effectively anymore because you've had this confrontation with it, and it's no longer stuck in the unconscious doing what it does. And uh, so this is, I mean, it, it, the, the takeaway from this, again, you know, to do this at the individual level, you'd have to go through analysis, and that would be years, but it's really important for us to do this at the ideological level with our with our ideological fantasies um, because once you do see how the ideological fantasy is working right there's the problem like you know the the, 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 the Nazi the German guy in Zizek's example right he can take uh, his Jewish neighbor and turn it into an argument for the fantasy but what the you know so he's having this experience of the neighbor but it actually reaffirms a fantasy. What the German needed to do was confront the fantasy itself and see it for how arbitrary and ridiculous and contradictory it is. And that would be the breakdown in the Nazi ideology, would be an identification or confrontation with the fantasy itself. Not what the fantasy is about. Like the, Not the empirical referent to the fantasy. You would have to con- confront the fantasy itself in order to get past it, to tra- tra- traverse it. So I think with that, I'm, 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 I think we're kind of done for the night, right? The, the, the last
1: thing was uh, Harpoon Lobotomy had said is, is A, the concept of the thing being absent from self, or the concept of the thing, or both either depending on context. And I would just clarify neither. And that Michael has, his most popular blog post is about that concept. So do you want to just like talk about that as a closer so that I can link the link that in the chat
0: So yeah I mean so the oj Petito, it is since in a sense you're right right I mean it is it's the lost object that operates I, Lacan doesn't use the word psyche but we do and I think it's helpful here and it's not a real object not a, not an actual object but it's almost as if it becomes incarnated in objects of desire, right? It's, it's that, um, X factor, the geneste qua, right? That, that it, that certain objects have that cause us to desire them. And so, yeah, the, uh, the, the, little a is the concept of this. Um, it, I, you know, I, I get this term from Deleuze, but I also like to call it a virtual object. Um, and, uh, So yeah, it's, it's this weird little virtual object that is the effect of language more than anything, because to integrate into language, you have to take up rules. I mean, there's the syntactical rules of language, right? You have to speak a certain way to be operative within language, but the whole point of language, uh, the, the first real meaningful instance of it for Lacan, which if we do this again, at some point we'll talk about his concept of the Oedipus complex, Mm. um, the first real meaningful linguistic event is what he calls the paternal metaphor and it, it, it sounds overly complicated but what it really has to do is it's the first instance of substitution right you the, the child has to substitute the mother's desire up until you know this moment the the child's whole existence has been based on the mother's desire, right? Being having a union with the mother, being connected to the mother. And at some point, some third person steps in, the quote, father, and says, nope, this can't continue indefinitely. Uh, you have to separate. And this is where you exchange the mother's desire for the name of the father. And all that amounts to is you have to give up the immediate gratification you share with your primary caregiver. And accept social normality, social protocol, law, and this is the first substitution. One thing is given up for another, and that is the, like the basic linguistic mechanism, right? Is uh, you know, there's substitution, and um, because of this, like you lose the immediate gratification, and you pause it. I also like to talk about it as a ghost. Objective law is like this ghost of an enjoyment. That you think you had, but you never had. It's, it's a pure ghost, right? Because it's not like you had some alive, living enjoyment that then was killed off because of prohibition, because of law. No, it's it's a the uh, it's a pure ghost, right? It's not it's it's a it's an enjoyment you posit or, or presuppose you had that you want to get back, but you didn't really ever have it. It was never that good. Um, and so it's just the effect of uh, the fact of language coming in, and language mediates everything, right? It's it's a whole system of mediation of relations. And prior to that, it's like you were wrapped up in a kind of immediacy, uh, bodily immediacy, and uh, you, you you want like the ghost of that. And so that's what the little object is. And so I, I go into that in the blog posts and. Um, there's a lot of other examples I give of trying to make this concept of OBJ Petita intelligible so mm. yeah if you want to know more on that one check out the uh, yeah you post the link in the
1: In an attempt to bring in new people to the world of philosophy and theory while building on relationships already established, we are doing a countrywide tour of the United States this fall. What's up, guys? It's Anna Day. Are we coming to a city or a town near you? Do you think there is a venue or audience in your local region that would be interested in a lecture or facilitated discussion about existentialism, critiques of therapism? pmc ideology self-help introduction to philosophy or the time energy critique of any of those things this speaking and discussion facilitation tour will include the pacific northwest in mid august the kansas city missouri area late august or early september philadelphia at the beginning of october and really we're going to be all over the area there hopefully so get in contact with us if you think that we should come visit your state phoenix arizona mid-october in socal especially san diego late october i say especially san diego because we already have our guide for the san diego region what's the difference between a host a guide and a volunteer you ask well thanks for asking actually the volunteer role is for people who want to put up posters or in other ways promote the events that will be occurring in their town or city, whereas the host might have a guest bedroom, guest house or a place that we can park our van. So we can sleep in our van. We need to know if you would have like bathroom facilities or anything like that. And so the form on the website is where you can tell us what you have to offer. Guiding on the other hand, though, people who love to guide take a lot of pride in their local knowledge. A good example of that would be Michael Downs when I visited him in Raytown, Missouri, and he took me into Kansas City. We had barbecue and he took me to the mall and to all these other landmark places from his life growing up there. Um, But a more recent example would be my friend Michael in Poland, who took us around Katowice, Poland, and basically gives a historical and sociological analysis of everything. And it was amazing. It It was one of the coolest things we've ever experienced. And it made us realize some people just want to provide the space and privacy, whereas other people want to take you out and show you around. And so if you're interested in being a volunteer host or guide, we have a special form for that. So please fill out your information and uh, get in contact with us as soon as possible so we can fit you into the schedule. Cause we'll love to meet you touch base with the local community. And if you don't think anyone else in your area is interested in the things that you're interested in, if you don't think anyone else is into this stuff, well, we might be able to surprise you.
0: When I saw that poster, Bolger in Boise fucking Idaho, are you kidding me? It was virtually an an answer to an unspoken prayer. You know, really was. And I just couldn't believe that somebody was interested in the things that I was interested in, that I had been interested in for years and had kind of given up on in in futility. I'd labored in solitude for so long, I had no one to talk to about it, no one to bounce ideas off.
1: This tour is going to bring together a lot of people who want to be based in text with the people they're in conversation with. and. Yeah, I think it's going to be a fantastic year. The only other thing that I want to say is that Michael Downs's first book is going to be published by Theory Underground really soon here. I've got another book coming out really soon here. These books will be spread throughout the United States on this tour. So I'm hoping to be able to do some actual book launch events at various bookstores. Outside of that, I guess the last thing that I would say is that Michael Downs' is gearing up to teach for they know not what they do by Slavoj Žižek we're putting out all these introduction videos and other interviews related to the topic of Hegel Lacan, Žižek because we want to give people an accessible and sturdy basis in the discourse the problem is is that Michael Downs is very busy having to work at a wage slave job and so if you want to help in freeing Mikey make sure to go to his patreon at patreon.com forward slash the Dangerous Baby and make a donation. Thank you. I would be remiss to close this out without a quick shout out to our patrons and our anonymous donors. Thank you so much for the donations already. We've only been around for a month. We already got over $3,000 in donations. um, And so thank you. And uh, stay tuned for the app, which is on its way. There will be a Fury Underground app So the current setup is that it is a social media site built around courses where you can suppose that people who are involved in the discussions have a shared interest in the same or similar texts and where you can assume in a lot of the discussions that, yeah, people have read the stuff that you're reading, uh, that you're bringing into dialogue. And so, uh, for instance, the idea of the University by Carl Jaspers, dedicated forum for they don't know what they do, dedicated forum. And then as people take the course over the years, new people will be coming into that forum. And so if you get in there early, you'll be able to see how the conversation evolves. And as new people add into the conversation, it'll bring back memories and like things that you want to work through, questions that you had with the first time that you read the text. And so I'm really excited for this. The reason I've built this website is because I think that this is what's lacking in so many other spaces is that ability to return to be able to communicate after the fact and in a sustained way on a platform that's not attention grabby and annoying like discord and so stay tuned because there is an app on the way thank you to our donors if you want to donate go to
0: theory-underground.com forward slash support thank you